0: song is just a great prayer, isn't it? Show us Christ. Show us Christ. Also singing of the throne room of God. What a thought to step into the throne room of our living God. Glad you could be here today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors. If we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. And uh, on that note, if you've been around for a while, you know Pastor Wade, and we're so excited to welcome he and Claire and Hadden back into the family. We've missed them, but we're grateful that uh, Parkview is a church that uh, offers sabbaticals to our pastors, and that's good. We believe uh, that helps them remain healthy and well, and so we're happy to welcome him back into the fold here and minister along with him. Last week, Pastor Thomas did a good job of challenging us. We saw in Ephesus here how uh, there are many involved in the making of disciples. Apollos is helping make disciples and being helped as he makes disciples. And here at Parkview, we aim to have the whole church making whole disciples. In that message last week, Pastor Thomas laid out some steps to help you grow in your discipleship and, to, in, and in that of making disciples, and he encouraged you to be involved in community groups. If you haven't signed up for one of those, we encourage you to do so. It's a great way to get connected and to grow in your faith and to grow along with others. He also told you about the podcasts, and there's going to be more and more that continue to be added. I know many of you have already jumped on those because you've made some comments to us about those helps you get to know people, hear some testimonies, but also have some training opportunities as well. I would add to that list, serving and volunteering here at Parkview. I know many of you serve in other ways, other places. We encourage you to be involved somewhere. Uh, Wednesday Night Awana, we need help with that. There's always a need, especially for men in that, to help alongside others that are discipling these young guys and and serving, greeting, uh, helping Uh, Ronnie, with No Limits, over at East Campus on a Thursday night, there's plenty of areas where you can be challenged in your faith and grow as well and help others too as well. I realize that's stepping out, that's doing something, and I know many of you do that anyway, but discipleship requires risk. I've entitled the message today, Inadequate Substitution. And I want to draw your minds back to the beginning of Acts, back to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, we're going to talk about the power today. And while God's power is supreme, the enemy is not without power. And that's important to know. The enemy is not without power. And we as Christians must eliminate any ties to him and to his ways. There's no question about God's power thus far in Acts. Now, I want to just take you on a speed tour of some of the scenes of God's power. Remember Pentecost. Obviously, God's power was evident in that occasion. 3,000 come to faith. We see amazing love and fellowship and generosity among believers toward one another. We see a uh, (laughs) a lame beggar healed and that draws all the attention, doesn't it? And then people are starting to wonder what's going on. Then the apostles boldly addressing the religious leaders, even at great risk to themselves. We have Ananias and Sapphira. They, they lie and die. We have many healings. Even shadows cast on people, getting, they're being healed. More and more people coming to faith. There's momentum that's increasing. Then we have a jailbreak caused by an angel. Stephen is so bold in his faith that he's martyred for it. Philip encounters the Ethiopian and shares with him. And the Ethiopian responds and they stop and they're baptized and and then is just gone. The Spirit carries him away to another city. And then Saul encounters Christ. And we know everything gets crazy after that. Now we, and then we have him being Paul. And he begins proclaiming. And there's more healings. Tabitha is raised to life. Peter and Cornelius have their visions even though they're in separate places and they come together and Gentiles believe and the Gentiles also receive the Spirit. And then we have the disciples first called Christians at Antioch. James is put to death, yet Peter is rescued. The apostles are on mission carrying the gospel everywhere they go. Even physical attacks on Paul do not stop the mission. Lydia, that wonderful believer in Philippi, comes to faith. And the jailer and his family when Paul and Silas and the others do not escape when they can. More cities, more uh, converts, and more frustrated religious leaders. We're going to be in Acts 19. You can uh, turn there or turn on your device and be ready. And and I want you to understand, for, for context, the gospel continues to advance through the territory. Apollos was in Ephesus prior to Paul's arrival, and he proclaims the word. And again, we see the kingdom of God expand as his people, empowered by the Spirit, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Look with me now at Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of, of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists Undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Let's stop there. Would you pray with me? Father, we do want to extol your name, to honor you, and to bring you the praise and adoration that you're worthy of. And Father, we're mindful of your son, Jesus, and we're just so thankful that we can access you because of his faithfulness to take on flesh and to grow, go to the cross on our behalf to rise in victory. We raise his name high. And Father, even as we uh, think of the third head of the, of the Godhead, we think of the Holy Spirit, and we just thank you for the work you have in our lives as believers. Lord, we commit this time to you and we ask you to move mightily and we think of East Campus and we ask you to bless what's going on there today and Lord, would you be exalted there as well. May your name be proclaimed. Father, would you help us to see what we need to see and to hear what we need to hear and respond appropriately. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, amen. So here in these first verses, 8 through 10, we see this familiar gospel ministry pattern repeated. Bold proclamation first in the synagogue. And... We find that it's acceptable for a while, and then they become frustrated with him after three months. Now, I know it didn't take Paul three months to get to Jesus, but the, the, the repeated pattern here is that, you know, you can go and preach the Bible, but once you start getting into proclaiming Christ as the Messiah, then it raises resistance. And that's true to this day. Parts of the Bible can be preached in a mosque or a synagogue, and they're okay until you talk about Jesus. Then the resistance comes. That resistance led them to the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, that would be a school or a lecture hall, likely owned by a wealthy man by the name of Tyrannus. Now, we can't know much about him because it was such a common Roman name. It could have been a, uh, a Roman believer. He, ca- he came to faith through the ministry of Paul. We don't know. Or it could have simply been a business transaction. But we know that the perseverance brought results. Remember, Paul is following up on the work of Apollos and and the work that he had done, and no doubt the 12 new disciples were very active as well. Three months in the synagogue, and then two years in the hall of Tyrannus, and this is very significant. This is a long stay for Paul. And Luke tells us, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is a huge statement. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, Jews and Greeks. Massive statement about miraculous action. Very significant. Ephesus was a city at that time of approximately a quarter million people. Imagine that. Look with me now at verses 11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. The Greek literally means works of power, not the ordinary ones. It's as though Luke is expressing perhaps his own surprise at the magnitude of what's happening here. Luke's been documenting this, and and now Luke's going, Whoa, this is extraordinary. Extraordinary sequence of of miracles, even for them. This is a new level of power from the Lord. And, And God does this to both authenticate the message and the messengers. God's adding his power. just to read that all these extraordinary miracles are taking place, so much so that cloth that had touched Paul's skin was being brought to the sick or possessed, and they were healed or set free. Can we just stop here and go, what? I mean, really? Cloth that had touched his skin is healing people? It's carried away to people, and and they're healed? Don't you want to press into Luke here a little bit and say, come on, give us more information. I mean, what's going on? Tell us more. Cloth that heals? I envision this sort of this cautious handle, handling of these items, uh, maybe pieces that were made from extra tent material at one point and, and turned into aprons or handkerchiefs, and, and, and they're taking these things and, and on special delivery to specific individuals in need. And you've got to wonder where it started. Did somebody pick up a, a cloth that Paul had dropped and, and something happens? Or did the Holy Spirit tell Paul to do this? We don't know. We don't even know if Paul was approving of all this going on. But I, I have to say, and I've got to ask, wouldn't it have been fun to deliver these items of healing to people? I mean, that's a job I want. Sign me up for that. Maybe some of these new disciples got to do it. And can you imagine just going, oh, he touched it? Okay, good. Let's take it. Oh, I know where this one's got to go. And you go, and you bring the power of God on cloth. And there's a healing where someone is set free. I mean, I want that job. That sounds like fun. And can you imagine then the gratitude and and they're saying, how can I thank Paul? And that's that moment for you to say, no, he would want you to thank Jesus and to praise the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. It gets good now. Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So it's in this season of miracles where these seven sons of Sceva, the high priest, we don't know much more about them here, it's where they come into play. Apparently, they were obviously connected with the high priest in one way or another, maybe truly his sons or disciples. Most likely, they would would have been actual heirs to him. But they want in on the action. And possibly, and and maybe even we could say likely, they had wrong motives in doing so. No doubt that they had noticed Paul. And that he did this in the name of Jesus. And and they're thinking, we too are religious. We can pull it off. And maybe they had desires for personal gain. Maybe this was going to be financially beneficial for them. or, Or maybe they wanted the fame and the attention that Paul was getting. And can I just stop here and say, it's never a good thing when we serve out of the wrong motives. Never. You see, we can fool other people, can't we? But the Lord looks at the heart. He knows why we do things. So here in Ephesus, in this prosperous community, they they love new ideas and philosophies. They worship their gods, and idolatry and, and magic and sensuality was all big business there. And Ephesus was a city that loved the supernatural. Morgan writes, the atmosphere of the city was electric with sorcery and incantations with exorcists. With all kinds of magical imposters. And don't miss the response of the demon that possessed the man. Look at verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? How foolish of these men to think that they could just say the same words that Paul said, that they could claim the name of Jesus and even reference Paul and do something mighty. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe in God, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. A, a knowledge of Jesus or, or even a belief in him just isn't enough. So even the demons believe. This demon knows of Jesus and even of Paul. But he asks them, who are you? And apparently he's not too interested in the answer because Luke tells us that he pounces on them and gives them a beating. Can I just stop here and say this, this should remind us that the enemy is powerful too. The enemy is powerful too. An incredible account. Think about it. Seven men. He beats them so badly that they limp and scurry out of there. Luke says, naked and wounded. What a scene. Incredible. Incredible. How does one take on seven? And perhaps right now you're envisioning in your mind some Jackie Chan like moves. I mean, these men can't even get away. It's one thing to not be beaten up by the seven, it's an entirely different thing to beat them up and contain them to the point that you can strip them of their clothes. Somehow he contains all seven and beats them up. Now, why am I camping here? Why do I highlight that? Again, our enemy is powerful. Early on in my ministry career, I had uh, a personal encounter with a demon two separate times and with two separate individuals. It's a long story, I won't go into all the details now, but one night in youth ministry, I realized that one of the guys who had been coming was not right, there was something very wrong with him. When I pulled him aside and, and met with him in my office, he was reacting in extreme ways to the name of Jesus. At one point he got up and he ran full speed, headfirst, charging like a bull into the cinder block wall of my office. It didn't even phase him. I knew that something radical was going on here. I pulled together a couple of my leaders and, and prayed with them, and we prayed for protection, and then we prayed that we would be victorious in this situation. And it ended strangely quickly, or strangely quick, and it was, uh, it was a concern to me. It went too easily, and, and I didn't know why, but I just thanked God for it. I learned later and I learned it from the demon himself that he had left the one student and gone to another one. Long story. Late on a Friday night or I should say early on a Saturday morning there was a knock on our door and and then screeching of tires my wife and I woke up and we found a suicide note on the back step of our church of our of our house by the church. It was crazy it was written in two different handwriting it kept alternating it was bizarre we involved the police and after some hours of looking we finally found him we ended up having because the police were involved he had to go down to the police station in Sarasota Florida I was there with two of my youth leaders and him and I was praying as we went there I said Lord I need time I need time We got there, and I'll never forget the reaction of the police dog in the back of the canine unit next to us when we parked. I got out. The other guys got out. There was no problem. But when this young man got out, that dog went crazy. I mean crazy. And I remember that officer trying to yell commands to that dog, and the dog wouldn't respond. And I remember the officer looking at him like, what is going on? That dog saw something we didn't see. We went in there, and in true answer to prayer. The officer that was on duty, he said, I'm short-staffed. It's going to take me a while to process him. Would you stay with him? I said, yes, we will. They put us in his room. They locked us into this room. And he was sitting about 10 feet across the room from me and, and the other two guys from the church. He'd been insulting us and back and forth. And there was some talk. And I finally, the spirit of God prompted me. I just heard the word in my head, enough. And I said, enough. And he says, where will I go? You can't do this to me again. I said, that is not my problem because the power of the Lord Jesus says you can't stay. He lunged off his chair toward me. He fell in a heap right at my feet and began to weep. He was free in that moment. The three of us were looking at each other like, God is powerful The enemy is too. So when we look at this text, we're going, okay, what happened here? Let's put it like this. Imagine someone comes and tries to arrest you, impersonating an officer. And it's obvious that this person is not an officer. I mean, your child has the same badge from his little uh, police, you know, costume, right? He has no authority, and he can claim the authority of the police department, but the reality is he doesn't have it. It won't do him any good to claim that authority. There's power in the name of Jesus, but we must truly know Jesus, not not know of him. And we must never use him. These men foolishly tried to do just that. Imagine how embarrassed they must have been. It's one thing to lose a fight. It's worse when you're one of seven that get beat up by one, and it's salt in the wound when you've got to run away naked. And if that's not bad enough, the entire community knows about it. Look at verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It, it almost seems here like, like Luke leaves out a detail, like did, did Paul go then and cast that demon out? And then that's why people believed, or is it was it because they could just draw the contrast? We, what we do know is that God is the one who works, who performs, who moves, and uses his church to do so. Specifically here, he's using his church and he's using Paul, not these men. The theological truth to embrace here is that the name of Jesus is not a myst- mystical name that you can call upon to do your bidding. Jesus is not an incantation that you can beckon. He's not a genie that you can make wishes to. But he is a personal God, a second member of the Godhead who is to be known personally and works through those who know him. Those who have invited him to be Lord and Savior, those who understand that he came to die and to pay that price on the cross, to rise in victory over the grave and invite us to be children, to know him, to be children of God by faith in what he accomplished. So note how these people respond we were simply told that this was known. And people, all people, Gentiles and Jews alike, were fearful. And they knew the name of Jesus was to be revered. Now, I want to just stop here and I want to just draw an obvious contrast. You already saw it, but I I want you to see it. It's right in the text. Seven sons try to invoke the name of Jesus and make a reference to Paul, the result of that was complete and utter failure, defeat and humiliation. Now contrast that back with verses 11 and 12 again. We're going to read them for the third time, but I want you to notice it. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. You see the contrast? Christ's power, sent through a piece of cloth, touched by one of his servants, carried away to another place, was more powerful than seven men in person who didn't know him. God is good. It would seem that God uses this event to build on what was already happening through Paul's ministry. And to bring about amazing change in the hearts and lives of people. We know this because the text says that not only many of them became believers, but they then acted on their faith. You've heard me say it before, and you'll hear me say it again genuine faith causes change. Genuine faith causes change in response to their faith in fearful reverence of the name of Christ they bring their books and materials that were in any way contrary to the truth of Christ and they burn them up a good old book burning it's commitment right if you're throwing that into the fire it's saying i want nothing to do with this anymore it's it's commitment We all know the phrase that talk is cheap, right? We can talk about going on a diet, but talking about a diet does not have much effect, does it? We can talk about getting fit. And I know that there are people who they spend a more exercise getting that equipment into the house and setting it up and then hauling it back out later than they ever actually did on it. Talk is cheap. We can talk about saving money, or we're going to save up, oh, 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 we're tempted by this, tempted by that. We can talk about being more generous. We're going to give, and we're going to give, but then, oh, I really want this, or I really want that, or I need to save this much. How about volunteering? We can love the idea of volunteering and go, yeah, I really should do that, and I really want to do that. But then, wow, it's every week? or Wow, I, there's so many other things I'd like to do that night. Or maybe if I'm going to memorize a verse a week this year of the Bible. I'm going to know a verse a week, and the end of the year, is going to come, and I'm going to know 52 verses. And here we are into February, going, boy, I really got to get that first verse down. Or you're going, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to really do it. I'm going to do it. And you're going, somebody's bound to come at some point and just ask me. Talk is cheap. Here we have people declaring their faith in Jesus and backing it up with their behaviors, with sacrifice. Now, again, I want to be clear these actions aren't salvific in and of themselves. They don't impart grace, but rather they're evidence of commitment. They're evidence of a changed heart. If you're a Christian, always remember saving grace is free, but following Jesus has a cost. Sacrifice. You heard from Laura earlier, there's, there's a cost, there's sacrifice. Now I've got to learn another language. If you're a Christian, maybe you can remember taking some actions or making some changes as a result of that faith. That, that point when you came to where you, you understood who Jesus was and you began to understand his word and you start, started to see contradictions between what the word says about how I should live and how I live. When the Spirit of God brought conviction, you started to go, yeah, that probably shouldn't be part of my life anymore. I think I might need to do some burning. I mean, were there things that you resolved to make different? Clearly, many people were determined to rid their lives of the garbage that they had previously valued dearly. So they stand, being warmed by the heat of a fire worth 50,000 pieces of silver. All ancient books were expensive, but magical collections brought a considerable premium in, in that day. And the estimated value was 50 pieces of silver. The average Greek silver coin was the drachma. A drachma would be equivalent to a day's wages. So there before them is a a fire that's burning that's worth 50,000 days' labor. They were committed. Committed to change, committed to live differently. I don't think this was done because these people had money to waste. I believe they made a sacrifice because they knew it was right. I looked at this story and it reminded me of Zacchaeus. And we think about that that wee little man up in a tree, but what does he do in response to Jesus? He goes, here you go. That's who I was, but now this is who I am. His new faith drove him toward radical reversal of priority. It costs him something. Sacrifice. Christ is triumphant over the evil powers of the world. I want to take you back as I close to the writing of Paul back to this church. He wrote back to the church in Ephesus, and we find in in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, put on the whole Armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle is real, people. It's real. But Jesus has the power and the authority for victory. It's His. And it's ours through faith in him. And true repentance is necessary to be a child of God. That repentance is that turning point. It's not just I believe in Jesus now. I'm turning from where I was, and now I'm going this way toward Jesus. Let me close with a question. If you're a Christian now, are you hanging on to anything that should be burned up? There's something that's just a holdout for you. You disvalue it too much and you can't throw it in the fire. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these accounts and we thank you for the wonderful name of Jesus that's so powerful. Lord, I pray for anybody here who's never invited Jesus to be their savior that even today would be the day They would recognize that it's not enough to know of Jesus or even to believe that he came and did what he did, but to say, Lord, I'm yours. Invite that relationship to become a child of God. And Father, we thank you for your word that guides us to that truth and the powerful gospel that there is freedom found in the name of Christ. There's victory, there's healing, there's renewal. Lord, we just give you praise. And this morning we just pause and we just praise the beautiful name of our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.